You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Job action now into a fourth day for transit workers on the Lower Mainland. And there could be even more trouble on the horizon. The chair of the TransLink Mayor's Council is urging both sides to get back to the table right now. CBUS commuters are bearing the brunt of the impact so far, but Grace Key is live with more on how the disruptions are expected to ramp up by midweek. Grace? Well, there are six sea bus sailing cancellations between downtown and the North Shore. Of course, a lot of that happening during the rush hour. And today, the union finding itself at odds with the mayor's council. On day four, the transit strike, a war of words between the mayor's council and Unifor, the union representing transit workers. It is disappointing, though, uh, to hear uh, Unifor leadership suggest that, uh, that the wage increases be done uh, by scaling back the, the expansion plans. It's disappointing to see the Mayor's Council take a one-sided view of this labour dispute. The gap between Unifor and the Coast Mountain Bus Company sits at $608 million, with wages, benefits and working conditions the main sticking points. The significant gap does cause us concerns because ultimately uh, the numbers that we are talking about would be very significant in cutting back uh, uh, transit, transit service in, in the region and conversely could be very, very uh, big impact to if, if uh, with, with transit fares. If it means that the expansion needs to somehow um, uh, trade various things, um, uh, look at the time frame for various things, move priorities around, then that's something that they should look at. Job action began on Friday with bus operators refusing to wear uniforms and maintenance workers refusing overtime. That's led to some C-bus cancellations. So far, no major disruptions, but transit users fear that could come soon. I commute to UBC from the east side and I'm really worried about what that will mean. Some buses are late and then like of course, it uh, affected, that go affected us going to, to work and school. With an overtime ban for mechanics, maintaining buses has been a challenge, and that means bus disruptions could come midweek, according to the union. We've been very clear. Unless these issues are addressed, this will escalate, and it will end in a complete work stoppage. All right, Grace, what is the union saying tonight about the possible next phase of job action? Yeah, the, today the union did say the next phase could be a possible overtime ban for bus op operators. And they're estimating that could mean 10 to 15 percent uh, cut in the system all around. Sophie? That will definitely have an impact. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key in downtown Vancouver. An end driver clocked at almost three times the speed limit next to a park and elementary school has had their car impounded. Inspector Anderson with the Vancouver Police Department tweeted out these photos today. The end driver caught traveling 142 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone. He's not paying any attention. He's driving like an idiot and putting people's lives at risk. At speeds of 142 kilometers an hour, it takes over the length of a football field for this vehicle to come to a stop. This type of driver is going to kill somebody, and we're asking them to pay attention and drive the posted speeds. Some stark findings tonight from a year-long national investigation into drinking water by a group of journalists, including Global News and university students. Newly released data reveals hundreds of thousands of Canadians 
could be consuming tap water laced with high levels of lead, leaching from aging infrastructure and plumbing. Test results from samples taken in cities including Montreal, Regina, Saskatoon, Moose Jaw and Prince Rupert showed lead levels comparable to or even beyond those of U.S. cities that have made international headlines for their tainted water, although provincial health authorities reject that comparison. Now, Prince Rupert is a community the government acknowledges has had a long-standing problem with lead contamination in some homes with 84% of the 25 homes sampled in the study exceeding the federal guideline for lead in drinking water. Paul Johnson has more on what those impacted are doing to cope and how the city is addressing the problem. Prince Rupert, known for a staggering amount of rain. Well, much of the world might take that as a blessing. A quirk in history here brings a public health concern along with that abundance. Prince Rupert's water is slightly acidic. It's also a city with a lot of old housing stock. So when the water runs through some of the household plumbing here, lead gets leached out. I only use the water from the tap for showering and doing the dishes. Leona Peterson is a single mother of two and a renter who can't get her pipes changed out. When journalists tested her water recently, Lead levels in the first pour were three times higher than the federal government's guidelines. Lead is a potent neurotoxin associated with a long list of cognitive problems. It's why news of extremely high levels in Flint, Michigan's water became an explosive headline. Bruce Lanfear is a professor of health sciences at SFU. It looks like Prince Rupert has a problem with uh, lead contamination in the water that's at least on par with Flint, perhaps might even be a little bit worse. But that's a comparison that both the city of Prince Rupert and provincial health authorities reject, pointing out that the problem in Flint was much more widespread across the city, couldn't be improved by flushing taps, and was caused by the lead service lines that carry water to homes, not old plumbing components in some homes, which is the problem in Prince Rupert. Every time I go to Prince Rupert, I drink the water there. Raina Farmerton is the provincial health officer for the North Coast. Well, she says zero lead would be the ideal scenario. The bigger picture, she says, is that contamination from all sources is down. The exposure of lead uh, in drinking water is, uh, is a small component of one's exposure to lead. So it's not, uh, it's not a crisis or a huge urgent issue. One of the cruel twists in this story is that lead contamination in household water disproportionately affects the people least able to deal with it. Peterson feels compelled to buy bottled water for her family. It's a hit to her budget and a hassle since she doesn't have a car. Recent news that the city of Prince Rupert will be moving ahead on a new $22 million project that will help reduce lead in her home's water feels too little and too late for her. So I feel a horrendous skin-crawling fury at the promises that were made and the promises that have never been kept. In Prince Rupert, Paul Johnson, Global News.
As you may have heard by now, Elizabeth May is no longer leader of the Green Party. This morning she announced effective immediately she's stepping down. Keith Baldry explains why she's leaving and while she's no longer leader, it's not necessarily her last hurrah as a member of parliament. As of today, effective today, I am no longer leader of the Green Party of Canada. And with that, Canada's longest-serving federal party leader had stepped aside, saying it was time to make way for someone else. I wanted to choose a moment when we had had a lot of success before leaving. The recent federal election brought the Greens just three seats, a gain of only one. It was apparent from that moment of dashed hopes that May was not going to hang on as leader much longer, even though she had been a one-woman show for so long. It is very difficult to think that even on an interim basis, that I would try and fill her shoes. The new leader of the Green Party of Canada is Elizabeth May. has led the Green Party since 2006, winning a seat for the first time in 2011. She will remain an MP, but the leadership race to replace her culminates in October 2020, giving the party plenty of time to choose a fresh face. I imagine they will be hoping for uh, candidates for the leadership who have a relatively high profile, who are known quantities, at least regionally, ideally nationally, um, and have a strong reputation that can build on uh, what Elizabeth May herself has, uh, has built thus far. One green. And as the tiniest party in the House, the Greens face some special challenges when it comes to growing its support. What it will take is potentially a new leader who can really capture the public's imagination and convince voters that their green candidate is, in fact, um, a credible alternative to the other major parties. Thank you May very will much. still be the green leader in Parliament and is mused about perhaps standing for Speaker sometime in the future. Keith Baldry, Global News. But first, Canada Border Service Agency is rolling out a next-level security feature for Nexus passengers. Vancouver International Airport is the first in Canada to start using facial recognition kiosks. John Hua has more on how they work and why some worry it could lead to an invasion of privacy. Attention please. This is the new ticket to faster travel. This is the final call. Nexus users flying into Vancouver International Airport, the first in Canada to use facial recognition kiosks to confirm their identity. It's a bit too invasive for me in a way. If the idea is to speed it up, I'm all for it, but it seems to work pretty well right now. Please look into the mirror. The new system replaces aging retina and fingerprint scanners. The Canada Border Services Agency claims it will speed up processing and align its security with global trends. The BC Civil Liberties Association warns not to take that at face value. We don't even know why this technology is supposed to be better than the current one that they're using and um, what the repercussions may be. Hollywood blockbusters have made us wary that Big Brother might be watching. I think generally people's faces um, are more uh, available to be picked up and scanned through surveillance technology um, in a way that our irises might not be able to. Or unreliable tech might be our undoing. Denied. I'm just looking straight ahead for me, please. But the real fear is that facial biometrics could be the key to a global surveillance network currently being forged by the United States and China. Now you have my photo. Now you have information. Where does that go after it leaves here? I think they're already using it to identify people off the street of what I've seen on, on the Internet. While the CBSA says the information will remain secure on its server, McDermott says people are literally putting their faces into the wrong hands.
they really lack transparency and accountability and due process. It's really hard to figure out how many complaints are even leveled at them. Nexus users who want the convenience of pre-clearance will have to bring their passports to scan their photos the next time they fly. It's quicker, more efficient, why not? Those feeling uncomfortable with facial recognition have no other choice but to opt out. John Hua, Global News. Well, social media lit up last night when something blazed across the night sky. This was sent into us by a keen-eyed global viewer in Richmond. It happened last night around 11.30. The meteor flashed across the sky, disappearing as quickly as it came into view. It's part of the Southern Torrid's meteor shower event, and we could see more over the next few weeks. Let's hope we get clear skies. We'll check in with Christy a little bit later. Three hundred and fifty grade three to five students from New Westminster schools take part today in the annual No Stone Left Alone campaign with the goal of placing a poppy on the headstone of every Canadian who served in our armed forces. There will be a hundred such ceremonies across Canada leading up to Remembrance Day. To honor our soldiers who have been died and saved Canada for us and I just feel grateful that they did this or else I wouldn't have a life here. It's just great. Just to like, think about how, mu how much people have actually died in the war and also like, that they actually served for us, for our country to be stronger. What a great program for those students to go through. For sure. Well, for a growing number of people, e-transfers have become the go-to way to send someone money. But Andrew is here now with an e-transfer nightmare. Yeah, it was a nightmare. They were trying to get answers for months as to how did this happen. Thanks, Chris. A BC couple says they won't be using e-transfer in the future after they lost hundreds of dollars. Somehow, their payment was intercepted. Not once, but twice. For months, they tried to get their money back from the bank. But when their claim was denied, they turned to Consumer Matters for help. When it comes to paying their rent, Emily Wager and her husband, Tommy Kirkley, have used e-transfer for close to five years. I always thought it was safe. But that sense of security was shattered this past April when Tommy e-transferred $950, rent money that never made it to their landlord's account. We had the email confirmation saying it was sent out. Immediately, Tommy and Emily went to their bank, TD Canada Trust, to report the incident where they eventually started an appeal process with TD's fraud department. While Tommy waited for answers, the couple still had to pay their monthly rent. Tommy says he was reassured by TD Bank staff it was still safe to use e-transfer in the future. Everything's safe, secure, go ahead. This time, Emily e-transferred the funds to her landlord. She was shocked by what happened next. It was deposited. But again, the email didn't end up with my landlord. That's right. Another $950 never made it to their landlord's account. It was heartbreaking. For six months, the couple says they couldn't get answers from TD Bank explaining how the e-transfer was intercepted. Emily says there was plenty of finger pointing, even the suggestion her landlord's email may have been compromised. The provider concluding there was no security breach on the landlord's end. Still, after months of battling with the bank, the couple's claims were denied. After three separate appeals and denials, they concluded that it wasn't a fraud, um, that it was most likely a scam that we fell into, um, which I really don't understand. 
Emily and Tommy turn to Consumer Matters for help. TD telling Global News, due to privacy considerations, we are unable to comment on the specifics of this case. But Emily told us that within 48 hours of Consumer Matters reaching out to TD, she received a response from the bank. They said they reviewed my case and they were so sorry with the runaround I've gotten and they couldn't believe how many times I tried to contact them. Mm-hmm. Emily says the bank made no mention of fraud but said she would be getting $950 back. Tommy received nothing. And I don't understand their decision to refund hers and not mine. This cybersecurity expert says banks could do a better job educating the public when it comes to e-transfers. I think the banks should certainly, uh, at a minimum, uh, have stronger warnings when creating those security questions and answers to ensure that people understand uh, that there's a risk and that they should choose something uh, that's a little bit uh, more difficult to guess than most of the questions people are using today. As for Emily and Tommy, they won't be using e-transfer in the future opting to pay cash instead. And again, while TD would not give us any details about this case, he did refer us to a link that has more information about e-transfer fraud and steps Canadians can take to protect themselves. We'll have that link on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Anne. Well, a couple in Ajax, Ontario, say they've tried everything to get their money back after a contractor didn't finish the job they paid for. They went to police, sued, and obtained judgment in small claims court. And when the contractor still wouldn't pay, they called Global Sean O'Shea to alert others. He sold us well, told us what we needed to hear. O'Neill Richards is talking about this man, a contractor he and his wife hired to finish their basement last year. But they say the contractor abandoned the project 11 months ago after taking their money, about $33,000 cash. In their basement, there are no lights, no doors, no finished floor. That hurts. Yeah, it does hurt a lot. Richards and his wife are first-time homebuyers. They found an ad for a company on Kijiji, a company with an impressive website. 20 years experience, the actual background, looking at like all the WSIBs. The company claimed it was insured for workplace accidents, but it isn't. And it turns out the contractor wasn't upfront about other things, including his name. He told us his name was Ron Castle because his company was Castle Construction. But after going to police, Richards found out Castle's real name is Ronald Gall. I think this might be him. Gall is still advertising for more business. We watched him show up to give another homeowner a quote. Mr. Ronald Gall? Yes. And we confronted him. And how come you take money from people but don't do the work? That's just not true. You took $33,000 in cash, you didn't finish the job, you walked away. How come? I did the job, actually. After Gall disappeared, Richards and his wife sued him in small claims court and obtained a judgment for $25,000 because Gall never offered a defense. A judge briefly set aside the judgment and ordered Gall to pay an amount into court, but the judgment was reinstated when Gall didn't pay. I brought a giant copy of the judge's order with me. Yeah, it orders, it orders you to pay. Richard says he went to the Home Depot and consulted another contractor about finishing the job. The news wasn't good. Take everything down and rebuild it again. Richard says he was told the electrical service won't work, that the drywall wasn't taped. If the family wants a finished basement, it's going to cost more now. Disappointing to know that you can go to the system just for justice and you don't get anything. And while the Richards are left with a mess, it's business as usual for Ronald Gall. You took cash, you walked away, you didn't finish the job. Not true. Well, what is true? What is the truth, sir? 
Police looked into his conduct and were sympathetic to the Richards, but they declined to lay criminal charges. What would you like to see happen? To be honest, I would just really want my money back. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. A rather hefty bronze sculpture has been lifted from outside a gallery on Granville Street. Take a look at the surveillance video that captures the moment the suspect rolls up with a dolly. He'll disappear for a second and then he slides back into frame with the horse sculpture. He loads it on the dolly and quickly wheels it away. It's pretty amazing when you consider the Petley Jones Gallery says it weighs about 400 pounds and the thief had to get the sculpture down several stairs before making his getaway. The gallery's website lists the piece by artist Fari Alden at $24,000. VPD are now investigating. All right, watch the top left of your screen as an intoxicated man falls onto transit tracks in Oakland. He tries to climb out but only makes it out alive because of the quick action of transportation supervisor John O'Connor. O'Connor pulls the man to safety with less than a second to spare. And this video shot just seconds after that rescue. It shows witnesses applauding as O'Connor and the men embrace. No one, luckily, was seriously hurt. Thank goodness. Well, another top-level shakeup at McDonald's tonight. The fast food giant's chief people officer, David Fairhurst, has left the company effective immediately. That follows Sunday's shocking resignation of CEO Steve Easterbrook. McDonald's announced yesterday Easterbrook was fired for violating company policy by having a consensual relationship with an employee. Easterbrook has been credited with much of McDonald's success over the past few years, from aggressive modernization to healthy menu items. The awesome power of Mother Nature on display in New York. This massive iron barge had been shipwrecked on a rocky perch in the Niagara River since 1918. Historians thought it would be stuck there forever, but the river had other plans. A Halloween storm dislodged the scow, spun it around and moved it nearly 50 meters downstream. Officials are now monitoring it closely and say it could be stuck in its new spot for a matter of days or possibly even years. In Health Matters tonight, Vancouver Coastal Health has officially kicked off its flu vaccination campaign. It's estimated that influenza causes as many as 3,500 deaths and more than 12,000 hospitalizations every year in Canada. At particular risk are children under 5, seniors over the age of 65, and anyone with underlying conditions. Coastal Health says it's hard to predict how bad the flu season will be, but it has been severe in the Southern Hemisphere, and they've already seen some serious cases here in B.C. In otter news tonight, the hunt for the Chinatown otter has turned out to be a bit anticlimactic. Oh, I know you did that. <laughs> Trap set up to catch the otter, which is believed to have eaten six prized koi at Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden in recent days, have been removed and the garden reopened to visitors. Howard Norman with the Vancouver Park Board says the concern is over, at least for now. He believes it is possible the same uh, the otter was the same one that killed 11 fish last year. They're hoping to come up with a new plan to prevent a repeat in the future. Some surprising new information tonight about B.C.'s southern resident killer whales, thanks to the growing use of drones by researchers. Turns out the orcas are a lot more touchy-feely than we thought. Lindy Aylesworth has the details and another piece of new information that could be especially good news for the population. 
To me, this was one of the more fascinating things. Fascinating discoveries were what UBC killer whale researchers Andrew Trites and Sarah Fortune were hoping to make this summer. And yet... We leave the end of August. No one has seen the southern resident killer whales for over two months. And that's not a good way to start your field season. But not 30 minutes after leaving False Creek, as they rounded UBC... And we saw killer whales, their dorsal fins, spouting, and as we got close to realize that they were J-pod. And it was just like, that's unbelievable. Their goal, to figure out why our endangered southern residents are struggling so. We're helping to answer this question by studying the diet and feeding behavior of southern residents and comparing that with an apparently healthy population, the northern residents. Unlike previous research expeditions, this year they used drones, flying 100 to 200 feet overhead. The whales were so calm, they didn't seem to be bothered at all by the drone. We're getting a glimpse into their behavior that we don't see from the surface of the water. Behaviors that include more than the way they feed. I was so struck by the fact that they are so tactile. They are constantly touching uh, and rubbing into each other. Perhaps it's their way of keeping strong family ties. And then there was the insight they gained about the behavior of calves. This calf uh, surfaced with a fish in its mouth. At three months of age, J56, one of two new southern resident calves, is still nursing. So what's with the fish? Is it like um, a comforter? Is it teething and chewing on something? Or is it just part of trying to behave and act like mom? They didn't have much time with the southern residents this summer. Two days after they showed up, they were gone. Another mystery to be solved. We're only just beginning right now. This is the first year of a five-year study. And so, yeah, we have a lot of work to do, but I feel really encouraged. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The smell of fresh-baked cookies on the International Space Station, a tasty new experiment right after our weather forecast with Christy. That's a mock-up, of course. That wasn't Not real. actual. They don't take the cookie out of the <laughs> All right. Uh, wow, that is a beautiful sunset, Christy. Mm. Yes, I would say Prince George was the winner tonight for the most beautiful sunset. This was from tonight's sunset. Uh, so thank you to Michelle Conkin for sharing that with us. Uh, sunset now in Vancouver, by the way. Yes, we fell back over the weekend. Is at 4.46 p.m. by the middle part of November. 4.30. I find that so hard to handle at this point. And by December, we'll be closer to 4. So we're losing more than three minutes of daylight every day. And that's a significant difference. And it was hazy today despite the blue sky. Uh, we did see a fair amount of fog. The fog dissipated, but we still were left with a fair amount of haze, and that is because of that uh, air quality bulletin that's still in place. So we've got fine particulate matter that is increasing because of the stable weather pattern that we're seeing. This is day 10 of this stable pattern, and especially at night, when we get a bit of an inversion happening and low winds, we really start to see that accumulate. So although we've had low risk across Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley during the days, at night, it's changing over to a moderate risk. Those of you in Duncan, though, it's staying at as a moderate risk even during the day. And what that means at a moderate risk is if you have any respiratory issues, you probably wouldn't want to go out and do any strenuous activities. That's about it. At a low risk, it's not too bad. But still, you're certainly noticing that haze. We're going to see extensive fog tomorrow. Won't dissipate quite as much. We'll see some breaks of blue sky certainly in the afternoon, but fairly extensive and lingering, especially if you're right along the coast.
coast and a cold front will drop down across the province. So those of you in Terrace, uh, Smithers, you'll wake up to temperatures of about 10 degrees and then they'll plummet. So you'll be close to the freezing mark by the afternoon hours as that cold Arctic air plunges down across the region. So some areas like Smithers will see snow. Prince George will see snow in the morning, sunshine by the afternoon. Vailmont will also see snow, but not bad conditions tomorrow despite that cold Arctic air, gusty conditions coming in across the region. Fairly extensive fog. Some areas will see a bit of drizzle in the morning because of that fog, but still sunshine by the afternoon. So a pleasant couple of days. It's not until the end of the week that we're expecting a bit of a change, but still no major rain in the forecast. Just more cloud cover expected over the weekend. And yes, one other shot from Prince George tonight. Sunset. Thank you to Melissa White. Isn't that nice? Wow. Gorgeous. It's on fire. Heavenly. All right, astronauts have conducted a lot of experiments in space, but none tastier than the one that's about to be carried out on the International Space Station. The crew just took delivery of a one-of-a-kind oven to bake fresh cookies. Seems no one really knows whether it's possible in zero gravity, where a convection doesn't work the same way. This special oven has holders to keep the dough from floating off the cookie sheet. But there's really no telling how these cookies will come out. Now, there is a serious side to this experiment. It's hoped that someday, when people are traveling deep into the solar system, they will be able to cook their food. No word on exactly when they will fire up the oven, but we'll keep an eye on it. See how it works out. It's all very analog, right? It looks. Yeah. Like, didn't it look very old school? It looks like an easy bake, right? Right. <laughs> From nineteen. You know, come to think of it, in all the Star Treks, I never recall them eating cookies. Uh, yeah, locker cleanout day for the BC Lions. Yes, a lot earlier than they thought. Yes. So the BC Lions' nightmare of a season actually isn't really over, even though they don't have to play any games until two thousand twenty. Now they have to do the forensics, which will include deciding upon people's futures, including the head coach, who will have some explaining to do, because when the Lions signed players like Mike Riley last winter, they were not thinking that this was some kind of rebuilding year. Most thought the Lions were playoff material. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, it was a failure of a season. You know, we only won five games. Um, the expectations were much larger. Um, I know what kind of team we have and what we could have done this year, but, you know, that's all coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um. So who pays the price for this disastrous season? In a results-based business where the metrics used are always wins and losses, it's impossible to look past BC's rookie head coach, Devon Claybrooks, who simply didn't deliver winning football. Well, I mean, nobody has high expectations than myself. And my, you know, and us here in this building. I mean, so it's been a huge, huge letdown for us. But we understand that it's a step in the journey of trying to build something special. Building something special is what was sold in the off season. BC opened up the vault and signed Mike Riley to a four-year, two-point-nine million-dollar contract. Neither Riley or a career year from Brian Burnham could help keep the line season from going off the rails. A season where BC's only victories came against Eastern teams as the Lions went 0 for 10 against Western opponents. you got to beat the West. You have to. I mean, it's unacceptable that we didn't win one game against the West. It's embarrassing. Um, I don't think, I don't know if that's ever happened in, in Lions history. So uh, that's embarrassing and uh, definitely, definitely needs to be fixed next year. We, we need to dominate. Devon Claybrook's coaching future with the BC Lions is currently under evaluation.
SBC's front office, along with team owner David Braley, will decide his fate, likely within the next week. Claybrooks is your quintessential players coach, the criticism being maybe too close to his players, who see him maybe more as a buddy than their boss. I think it has to be a healthy balance. I think that I'm not, I'm not their friend. I just understand them. There's a difference. So don't equate that because of the relatability. That, that's also a plus because if you got the guys respect you, they understand you, they know that you genuinely care about them, then they'll run, for a, run through a wall for you. Should significant changes be coming? Significant changes. You know, that's a, you know, I mean, obviously when you go 5-13, and 13, there's going to be changes, right? Okay. Of course, the season ended earlier for a quarterback, Mike Riley, who broke his right wrist in mid-October. He finally got surgery on Thanksgiving and should be good to go next season. In fact, he says he could throw right now if he had to. Surgery went really good. Um, appreciate the doctor's work. I mean, it was, it was quick in and out. Uh, interesting way to spend Thanksgiving morning, but... Uh, yeah, when they told me the recovery on it, I didn't really believe it. I thought they were a little bit crazy. Um, but they said within like seven to ten days, I'd be able to use my hand normally. And it turned out to be true. I mean, I had the splint off about a week and a half after the surgery and have full strength in it. And, I mean, if we had a football game to get ready for this weekend, I'd be, I'd be out there practicing. So they did a great job. I'm certainly appreciative of that. But uh, it was an unfortunate way to end the season. I said right wrist, left mm-hmm. wrist. Mirror image <laughs> messed me up. Uh, one of the big pluses for the Canucks during the first month of the season was the fact there weren't many injuries, only Tyler Mott and Michael Furlan. Not good, but not devastating. We've become very used to the Canucks having a long list of casualties among their main group. However, Quinn Hughes did hurt his ankle against Anaheim on Friday. And this is how it happened. He just turned it the wrong way and immediately was helped off the ice by the ref. He hasn't played since, but he was able to skate on his own today. That doesn't mean he'll play tomorrow against St. Louis. We will have to see how he feels in the morning. At the moment, he's officially day-to-day, which means the team doesn't really know either when he'll be back. The Seattle Seahawks could have easily carried Russell Wilson off on their shoulders yesterday after a come-from-behind overtime win against Tampa. He was his usual great self again. But instead, the guy who was carried off, Rudy-style, was a Rudy-like guy. Tight end Jacob Hollister, who scored the winning touchdown. Hollister was a practice squad guy until he got to play yesterday because of injuries. But on Pete Carroll coach teams, he preaches that guys on the practice squad awaiting their chance to play are to be treated, make that, as equals by the regular guys. It, well, you saw the way the guys responded to him winning, you know, with the win and play of the game. Um, thought that was really cool. Second and goal from the 10. Wilson fires. Hollister. Touchdown. There's never been a day that Jake isn't, hasn't been a good worker. There's never been a day when he wasn't busting his butt. And so that that's clear. Guys know that. They can tell, you know. And so when he gets the chance, you're rooting for him. And that's exactly what happened. And as you didn't see there, but they, they did carry him off on their shoulders. Amazing. Okay, <laughs> hero. I know. Very good. Coming up on ET Canada, the Great White North welcomes Frozen stars Anna and Elsa, plus small screen previews of Dickinson and Jack Ryan. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you, Carlo. All right, it was a chance meeting at a hairdresser that changed the life of a young woman whose days are filled with challenges most of us could only imagine. It's a twist of fate that led to a promise and an act of kindness that restores faith in human nature. 
Clark is 19, Preston is 18 this year, Austin is 17. Just getting their names and ages straight is hard enough. Rowan is 15 and Lucia is 13. Now imagine raising these five children all on your own. You know what, there's been lots of challenging days, but I think overall uh, this job has taught me more than a regular job ever would have. Marina Miller went from older sister to guardian 10 years ago, stepping into the role after a parent's mental illness hit a breaking point for the family. Ever since, she's been supporting these kids without any type of outside funding. Well, we've had our bumps and bruises along the way. The latest, how she was going to come up with the money to pay for their dental care, estimated at a cost of $35,000. But a chance meeting at her hairdresser's six weeks ago landed her here. Joanna happened to be sitting in the seat um, and said nothing for about 10 minutes and kind of just overheard this conversation that... Uh, the hairdresser Gail and I were having and uh, looked up from her phone and said, I want to help you. Joanna is the office manager here at Otter Point Dental. She shared Miller's story with the dentists who jumped at the chance to help. It was a no-brainer. Like it was same day, let's just get them into the office. Assessments have been made. So when he smiles with these guys out, it's going to be really full. Yeah. And wisdom teeth have come out. But this is just the beginning. The care will continue for as long as they need it. We've got three going and we'll have a fourth. They have one brother with perfect teeth. <laughs> at roughly $7,000 a case, Miller is still in shock at the generosity. There aren't even words for that tremendous gift. Now she's sharing her story in hopes of inspiring others to step up and lend a hand. She's not the only one who has taken on such a massive responsibility and a little support goes a long way. This is just an example of someone going above and beyond for another stranger in the community. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. That is great. That's why it's okay to eavesdrop at the barbershop, too. <laughs> it's like, maybe you can help somebody. That's true. Good point. <laughs> yeah. All right, should we check the weather before we go here, Christy? Sure, so fairly extensive fog tomorrow morning. It'll take a while for it to dissipate. It may not happen until about noon, but we should see some sunshine, uh, especially if you're further away from the water. Wednesday looking nice as well, but a bit more cloud towards the end of the week. All right, thanks very much, and thank you for watching. Have a great night, everybody. Have a good night, all.